Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. As a spiritual mentor and advisor to many, many a people that are hard and earnestly going after the things of God, I often get asked a very similar question. I get asked this from men, from women, from those that are young in the Lord, those that are quite advanced in the Lord, and any and everything in between. And it's this simple question, Francois, how do I walk in the Spirit? How do I live a Spirit-filled life? How do I pray in the Spirit? How do I worship in the Spirit? How do I mind the things of the Spirit? Paul tells us in the book of Romans 8 that we should set our mind on the things of the Spirit. Francois, how do I do this? Well, I get asked that question a lot, and I have a rather simple answer. Perhaps not the answer many want to hear, because We tend to think walking in the Spirit is this excessively mystical experience that's out of touch with reality. And I want to give you today that answer that I give many, many of the folk who come to Legacy School of Discipleship, where we are training in the life of the Spirit. And they come sometimes just thinking living the spiritual life is this mystical thing where you just escape earth and you... You, in a way, get raptured and you, 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 you soar into the heavens of ecstasy and you just, it's, 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 it's just sometimes they have a weird concept of life in the spirit. And today, I hope you will hear how simple, how practical, and how down to earth life in the spirit can really be. And it really hinges on one aspect within your being that in a way gives your spirit permission to engage God or in a way shuts your spirit down and pacifies it and makes it slumbering and sleepy and disengaged. It's that one aspect in your being that I want to address today. And uh, I think you are in for a surprise. What's the secret then of walking with God and of having a spirit that's enlivened? We've established, at least by way of introduction, that you do have a human spirit, that you do have a human soul, and that you do have, of course, a physical body. In a way, you're three people in one. We've, uh, we've come to an initial understanding that your spirit man tends towards God, Your solical man tends towards psychological things. And your physical man tends towards the earthly. And that's as it should be. But now, how do I walk with God? And how do I fellowship with God? Because now we've told you, 
you know, God is looking for worshipers. He wants you to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And you should set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And you should seek the things which are above. And I think some time ago, some of you asked me, well, how do I do this? Aha, I didn't want to answer you, because I want to lead you on in a very methodical way. And today, I want to begin to address a little bit how to walk with God. You know, we look at Abraham, and we see a couple of things, and then, aha, this is walking with God. Then we see Moses, and then we see David, and we see the prophets, and we come to see Jesus and the apostles. And we get a couple of hints and a couple of, uh, you know, dynamics here and there. We try to imitate some of these things. Why does it fall flat? Why is the Christian life so hard? Where is the missing puzzle piece that completes this picture? I want to propose to you that the Christian life ought not to be a schlep. It ought not to be a burden, an excessive bother. It ought to be empowered. But how do you get that power? How do you get to that place where you actually live by the Spirit of God? In that grace of God? It it, it should not be... So difficult. And now I want to dig in with you and tell you how to engage your spirit. How to lean into that spiritual part of you. And this teaching, I run the risk, the greatest risk of being misunderstood. So I want to go slow this morning. And I have a note for you. And I want you to hear with the ears of your spirit as best as you can. Because your mind, your corrupt, unregenerated, unrenewed mind will take what I'm about to say and and definitely add misunderstanding to it. Saints, you need your spirit to hear spiritual things. I remind you of Paul's word to the Corinthians. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Because they're foolishness to him. And I pray that you all are sitting here, you would listen with your spiritual man. And I want to teach you this morning how to engage your spirit man. But listen with your inner ear, if you will. And just hold all your questions, hold all your speculations, and let me get through the content. And um, I believe today could be a transition point from a schlep with God to an enjoyable, vibrant reality of power and life and dynamism. That's really where we ought to live. How do I engage my spirit? We have established the fact that I have a human spirit that's supposed to be in the worship of God. It's supposed to sing to God. I should, I should pray in the Spirit. Paul says, I pray with my spirit, and I pray with the understanding. Aha. We see then that there is an understanding component to my being. There's also a spirit component. <coughs> component. The question then becomes, how do I pray in the Spirit? Aha. How do I do that? In the same sentence he says, I also 
would sing in my spirit or with the spirit, and I sing with my understanding. And you get the idea that there is a spirit part to your being. There is an intellectual, psychological part to your being. So yeah, we've established those things quite well, that I am a three-part being, and um, God wants me somehow to be in my spirit. We constantly tell you all, mind the spirit, lean into the spirit, exercise your spirit. In just a minute, we're going to read an article about fanning your spirit. Uh, Paul would even say stuff like, stir your spirit, worship God. Well, how do I do this? Aha. For me, it is not too difficult. If you can track with me in the following. Look at your notes. To engage your spirit. To pray in the spirit. To sing in the spirit. To be spiritual, let's say. Beloved, here it is. It's an issue pertaining to your will. I want to teach you a little bit about your will. That is, that capacity in your being to choose, that capacity in your being of volition and determination, choice. That little function within your solical being, within your psychological being, that function has a lot to do with you being a spiritual person. Before we get there, I want you to come with me to the book of Genesis again. Um, And I want to tell you again what happened there at the fall of man. So I put a little sketch here on the screen for you. It's on your notes. And um, I want to get to this sketch And maybe paint a picture for you of what happened. But follow with me first point number one, point number two. And let's color some things into the sketch here. The first statement that I want to make in point number one is that your will, your choice, your volition, has a prominent responsibility in the engagement of your spirit man before God. Most of us, we begin our Christian life and then we're just kind of waiting for God to show up. Your will plays a role in God showing up in your life. Ooh, we run the risk of being misunderstood. Just track with me as we go along, okay? Most of you are just kind of waiting, saying, Lord, fall on me. Lord, I'm not going to move until you move me. Lord, I'm, just, I'm the sail, you're the wind. The boat is just sitting in the harbor. And you're kind of waiting for a kind of an inspiration, for fire to light up on you, for fireworks, an earthquake. And God's kind of like waiting on you to go. Both of you have expectations one of the other, and they're not quite coinciding, and so there's no movement in your life. Your will plays an enormous part in the functioning of your spirit. And I'll prove it to you 
as we go along. Look at number two. In the Genesis story, in chapter three, there is the serpent that was more cunning and crafty than any other animal of the field that the Lord God had made. And you remember how that serpent, that poisoner, comes to the man and to the woman. And listen to my uh, sentence here. The temptation that the man faced in the Garden of Eden, it started first in the mind. You remember how the, the devil came to the woman. Did God really say? And he provoked her into an intellectual, intellectual, rationalistic approach. You remember that? We covered that quite extensively. So, it's like Satan came first here to the mind of man. And even there later on, I printed it on the right-hand column. You know, the woman, she saw that this tree could make her wise. You know, it appealed to her intellect. Question. Trick question. When Satan came and he provoked the intellectual capabilities of this woman, and he entered into dialogue with her, did she sin when she was in the brain? No. So this particular function in her being is not what brought her down. Or shall I say, the man down. But this is kind of number one, where Satan started the process. And then you see he moves deeper into the feelings of uh, the, the man and the woman. It says here on the right hand side, you look at that little verse, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasing to the eyes. Can you see now how that emotional feeling capacity of that man and that woman was engaged? Can you track with me? So first the mental, the logic, the, the, the rationale was engaged, but she didn't sin being in the mind. Then her feelings got engaged. She looks at the tree. Oh, this feels so good. It's a beautiful tree. Oh, I can be wise. And this is pleasant. And this emotional function that she has, this capability, was provoked. Question. Did she and the man at that time sin? Because they felt a certain way. So I say here in the sentence, the man and the woman only transgressed when that poisoned serpenter injected that poison, it passed through her mind, secondly through her emotion, and when it provoked her will, this bottom part here, when it provoked her will, it says here, she took of the fruit and she ate and she gave to her husband who was also with her. Question, what caused the woman to sin? Her choice, her determination, her volition. So what brought down the fall? What brought about the fall? Choice. choice. So can you agree with me? When the man was in his mind, let's say philosophical, he had not yet sinned. When the man was in his emotion, and he was even like dreaming about this fruit, let's say. Oh, this is so beautiful. This is very pleasant. He had not yet sinned. 
The transgression is only reckoned to this man when his will got engaged and he took that fruit and he ate. Now look here on the screen. What happened when the man's will was activated? Well, if you can imagine with me, the poison of the serpent seeped in here into the will of man. That black serpentine poison called sin. How did it gain a gateway into man? Through the brain? No. Through the emotion? No. The temptation was there, no doubt, in the brain. The temptation was there, no doubt, in the feeling. But the man actually bit into the sin and took the nature into him through the gateway of his choice, his will. And what happened is that will of man became poisoned. You remember I gave you another sketch long ago how behind all of this, there's now this black poison. Do you remember that? How this uh, little man that we, we had had this black shadow behind him. So man's will was not really taken away. Man still keeps the will. But that will of man, that choice of man, became empowered by something that we call Satan's intrinsic nature, sin. Is everybody with me? Yeah. And so man began to choose sin more often than not. And the next thing that happens is that poison seeps now into your emotional capacity. So now that sin begins to cover up all the feelings of man and begins to overlay all this emotional capacity with sin so that man now enjoys doing sin. But where did it start? In the, in the will. And then it spread to the emotional part of man. And now that which is to be a healthy emotional person becomes a distorted person. And feelings get out of whack. Yeah, sin now has spread into the emotional capacity. And then it spreads now into the mental capacity. And so that whole mind of man now becomes dark and full of corrupt thoughts. Where did it all start? Listen carefully. In the will. What happened then is that, remember we had a previous sketch with the, the spirit man over here? Remember? With the arms open and you can tell I can't draw, can you? I do not have the gift of drawing. But that sin, that sin spread into man's spirit. That sin spread into man's spirit and shut that spirit down. Are you with me? Of course, your spirit is meant to be filled up with God and supplied by God. And your spirit is meant to function towards God, to engage God. But because of the will of man, whoosh, the spirit shut down. I gave you a sketch with such a black, darkened, lifeless spirit. But furthermore, that sin that was inside of man now as a nature, it, it crept into the body of man and it poisoned the, the, this temple, this vehicle, this vessel. 
And so now man's body over here, uh, there's the body. This body now is governed by cravings and lusts and desires and impulses. And so it's the body of sin. Sin is the poison that flows through this body. Where did all this mess originate? In the will of man. In the will of a man. The will is the gateway that Satan usurped to gain access to the entirety of a man's being. Your choice. Can you follow with me? Look at the next uh, point, number three. The first Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, which means the Garden of Pleasure. How did he sin? Through his will. That's it. You're with me now. The last Adam, who is Jesus the Christ, he didn't sin, he did what? He submitted. Notice those words in contrast to each other. The first Adam sinned. The second Adam submitted in the garden of Gethsemane. No longer the garden of pleasure. It's the garden of crushing. I, uh, I would assume that most of you know now what the name Gethsemane means. It's a garden that was called the Olive Press. This is where olives are harvested and crushed, pulverized, till the last little bit of oil drains out of this olive fruit. And that's what Gethsemane means. The first Adam was in a beautiful environment and chose to sin. But then Jesus finds himself, just a short few hours before his crucifixion, he's also in a kind of a garden the Garden of Gethsemane. But here, it's not a pleasurable garden. This is a garden that is every bit as tempting as was Adam's garden. But there's no pleasure here. There's only crushing here. And what did this last Adam do? He submitted. But let me ask you, what did he submit in that garden to God? His will. Turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. It's almost a Genesis account on repeat. There's two men in a garden. The first Adam, the last Adam. And the temptation is for their will. Their will has a destiny connected to it. Their will has the purposes of God connected to it. Their will has heaven and hell. They, everything pivots on their will. Who? Verse 39, And he came out, and he went according to his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, that's the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to them, Pray, that you do not enter into temptation. Isn't that interesting? That's what happened in the first garden, there in Eden. 
in the place of pleasure where things should have been very easy for the man, temptation was there. And now they're in a garden again, and he makes an, an amazing comment. What's going to happen in this garden is a temptation. Beloved, tempting what? The will. It's all about the will of man here. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down to pray. And he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. In context, what is this cup? The Father has a cup for him to drink. In context, what is this cup? Correct. The crucifixion. The Lord is about to be nailed to a horrible tree in a matter of hours. And He's about to give up His entire life. And furthermore, He's about to be cut off from His Father. Beloved, you and I's Lord up to that time of the cross never was at odds with the Father. Never experienced distance with Almighty God. Can you agree with me? There's coming an hour on that cross that is more hellish than the blood and the nails. It's that hour where He said, God, where are you? Why have you? For, that is the hell. That in this garden, Jesus is saying, Oh, is there any other way that we could redeem man except but for me and you being cut off from one another? And the battle for Jesus here in this garden, the temptation, is whose purpose will he seek, even if it costs him his life? The issue is, what will he choose? Choice is what brought this whole thing down. Beloved, choice is what will recover and restore this whole thing. He says, Lord, uh, you know, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. And then notice the submission. He said, nevertheless, not my, not my choice, Lord. Not my way. Not my will. But by saying not my will, do you realize that he is exercising his will? We're coming to this practically in just a little bit. For you to walk with God is an issue of your will. For you to have a strong, engaged spirit is an issue of your will. For the Lord here, Jesus, to follow the Father's purposes, He didn't just say there in the garden, Oh, Father, what will be will be. I'm not going to do anything until you move me. Now, when he submitted himself, he made a choice to walk the way of the cross. He, he partnered. With, he, didn't just, he didn't just sit there and it happened. He chose to go to Jerusalem. He didn't have to be in Jerusalem at this festival. He knew full well people were going to crucify him. Are you with me? But he submitted his will and chose to walk with the Lord's mind, with the Lord's purposes. He aligned himself volitionally when he had every opportunity to run. He knew that they were going to come and get him in that garden. 
He knew Judas was going to betray him and lead the soldiers and all the interrogators out to the... He knew that. And he chose to stay put in that garden. He could have gone to Bethany and just a hop, skip and jump over the mountain. He'd be in the desert and gone. Nobody would find him. But in the giving up of his will, he did choose to walk the way of the cross. Why are you redeemed today? Because somebody chose to redeem you. That's when we say you are chosen. How much more plain can that you are chosen? Yeah? You have been chosen. Theology has skewed this thing a little bit. A lot. But the Lord paid a horrific price in His will. There was a part of His being that said... Is there any other way? Can we do a compromise here? Can we renegotiate? What was plan B again? Did we ever come up with that one? As a human, he had, of course, these feelings of compromise. These feelings of maybe take plan B. But he chose to not choose his way. Nevertheless, he chose. Look at the text again. It says, an angel from heaven appeared to him, and based upon what? Mm. You want spiritual power, and you want the heavens to minister to you? Your will plays an enormous role in the strengthening of heaven towards your being. Some of you cannot experience the anointing, And in this context, angelic beings ministering to you. Why? Because in your heart you have not chosen. In your volition you have not consecrated yourself. So the question then is, how do I walk with God? Saints, you choose to walk in the Spirit. You choose to lay your life down. You choose to take the low road. And when you do, just like our Lord here, When man chooses, God will come in and strengthen that choice and add the anointing to you to walk out the way of the cross or to walk out the Lord's purposes and destiny. Saints, you've got to choose the things of God and then God anoints you. How does one walk with God? Today you have to choose. And I see this in the life here. When you choose today to say yes and lean into your spirit by your choice, there's the power. The power don't come first and then you choose. It's almost like you choose in the absence of angelic ministry. If we can use that as a metaphor for spiritual power. Most of you just want to stand there and say, Oh God, move me. Show up. Then I'll go. Uh Uh-uh. It's almost like you choose and then comes the power to partner with your choice. It says here in verse 44, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Oof. Why did he receive angelic ministry? He was strengthened by angelic... Of course, He's the Lord of the angels. They're His servants, are they not? 
And I'm not sure how they strengthened him. Did they give him some heavenly steak to eat? A pat on the back? Did they sing a song? I don't know how they strengthened him. But listen to the context. They come, they strengthen him. And then what does he do with that spiritual strength? He chooses more. He prays more earnestly. He engages God's will more deeply to the place where his body begins to shake and tremble. Why was he anointed by angels, let's say, empowered by divine visitors, so that he can lean into prayer in an even deeper way? And his body began to throw a tantrum. And said, his body just began to explode with blood. Like, no, let's not do this. And he kept laying down his will. And kept saying yes. And yes. And he was in such anxiety. And he was in such agony. That the capillaries just busted. And we know that's a medical condition for people who can be under tremendous stress. Because he knew full well what was coming. He could have just ran. These angels could have carried him up and just, he's out of there. But why did they strengthen him to submit more to God? And his body is fighting it. And his spirit is leaning into the purposes of God. Saints, how do you walk with God? Well, you choose. Then there is the empowerment on your choice. And you'll see when the Spirit comes and anoints your choice, it'll take you deeper into a yes for God. Deeper into a consecration for God. But which comes first? Choice. I find that interesting. And when he rose up from prayer and he came to the disciples, he, fa- he finds them. Yeah. There you see that the average man in the purposes of God sleeps. He's passive. But here you see one man in the purposes of God. He's vigil. He chooses to stay awake. And because of his choice, God anoints. So he chooses more by the Spirit of God. He's more strengthened in the way of God. In contrast to the, you know, the followers of God, those who follow at a distance, they're just sleeping. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise up and pray that you would not enter into what's going on in the two gardens of the Bible. The temptation. It starts with the mind. Oh, did God really say? It progresses into the emotion. Oh, this is, a, this is desirable and pleasant. But the goal is to get to your will. If Satan can access your will... And usurp your will. Ah, he's conquered you. He's conquered you. And the same thing is happening to Jesus. Oh, if the devil can just get get to his will and and choose another way. Aha, then he's conquered Jesus too. How do you live the overcoming life? You choose to. How do you pray? You choose to. How do you walk out through, tr- through this trial and catastrophe? How do you stay strong? You choose to. 
We will balance our words in just a minute. But just listen to the spirit of what's communicated first. I say here that in Jesus' obedience to his Father through the cross, he restored the usurped and dysfunctional will of man so that man can henceforth choose the will of God. Notice that sentence. When Satan gained the will of man, it became dysfunctional, self-absorbed. And here comes Jesus, and by laying down his will, that is choosing, he restores choice back to you. So everybody look up here. Tongue in cheek then we can say that when Satan was our Lord, we had no will. We just did whatever he said. We were a slave to a master called sin. But Jesus' choice in that garden and the fulfillment of it on the cross restores back to you choice. After all, God made you with a choice, with volition. And Jesus' cross did not just die for your sin. He died so that you can choose again. This is one of the gifts in salvation. Is that like the man in the garden and like your Lord in the garden, you can choose again. Today, when you sin, it's not just because the devil made you do it. No. Today when you and I sin, is it not true? Come on. Let's fess up a little bit. Today when I sin, it's because I want to. Praise the Lord, choice has been restored to me. And today when you call on the Lord, and you lean into God, and today when you choose to sing a song, and today when you choose to take a knee, and today when you choose to humble yourself, that is proof that choice has been restored back to you. At one time, we never wanted to follow God. At one time, I had no desire for God. And then comes the Holy Spirit, and He hovers, and He woos. And He gives you a little bit of a gift called faith. Did God shove salvation down your throat? No. He gave you the gift. He gave you the little strength to even believe. But what did you have to do? You had to choose, right? You had to choose life or death, Jesus or Buddha. You had to choose. Although it was the gift of God... Nevertheless, Satan came and tempted the will of man. God comes and he wants to empower the will of man. It all starts with the will of man. I don't understand why it's so quiet in this class. Well, Francois, did I choose God? No, not really. Satan chose man and gained access through your will. God is choosing man. And also wants to gain access through your will. Both have really the same agenda and the same gateway. Your will. And Satan came and tempted man with a little bit of intellectualism and a little bit of emotionalism. And man activated his will towards that end. God comes and He gives you a little bit of grace, a little bit of faith. Towards what end? To activate your will to choose Him. Same agenda. Entirely different results. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. 
So, I hope you understand what I'm trying to say is that when you and I were in sin and death, I didn't even know I sinned. I just did it. I was a slave to sin. Of course, I chose to, but in a sense, my will was usurped. And I just did the desires of my master, Satan, sin. Now here comes Jesus, and He restores you to a normal person. What is a normal person? A normal person chooses. Those of you that think you become a robot in your salvation, you don't. You actually gain this amazing gift of God called choosing. And you just even in your heart motive... Lean this much to the choosing of God and the Spirit will flood in and like empower that choice to give it fully. But you still have to lean in a little bit. Yeah? What a gift that we're not robots before God. We're not pre-programmed to just obey. I get a choice to obey. So the question then becomes, how do you fellowship with God? How do I walk with God? Well, you choose to. Point number four. A spiritual person can fellowship with God apart from a complete understanding in his mind and a sensation within his feeling. However, a spiritual person cannot fellowship with God in the absence or passivity of his will. So the will then plays a critical, crucial, paramount role in walking with God. Let me see if I can paraphrase what I wrote there. Saints, you want to be spiritual people. Saints, you want to be men and women of God. Then listen to me. It has everything to do today with you choosing A spiritual person can walk with God even though he doesn't fully understand. Your choice makes you walk with God even though your mind is absent with all the information. Think of Abraham. He did not know where he was going. Yet he chose to walk with God towards that destiny. What is a spiritual person? It's not a person who's got it all together. A spiritual person certainly don't have it all together in the mind. Oh, glory. Abraham never had it all. He'd never even been to Canaan, Canaan. But why is he such an amazing figure in the Bible? Because God showed up in his life and he said, Okay, that's it. Pack the bags. We're going. Abraham was a man of choice. In Genesis 22, God comes to him and said, You know what? Take your son. Go offer the son whom you love, your only son. And go to the mountain that I will show you. God didn't even give him an instruction how to get to the mountain. Three days later he got to a mountain. God is absent in the details. Why? To make you choose. Why does God not give you all the feelings up front? To make your will... Like saints, your will plays an enormous role in going places with God. And we'll balance that out in our next session. Nevertheless, Abraham, 
He walks with God by a strong choice. Today, I'm going to choose God. Joshua, as for me and my house, we are choosing to go with God. How do you pray? Most of you, you just come here in the mornings. Oh Lord, I'm not going to say a word. He's, he's, he's like, okay, then I'm not saying a word. That's it. You won't play that game? Like, Lord, I'm not going to pray until you make me pray. No. You choose to pray and the Spirit comes on your choice and anoints you. Well, Lord, I can't sing. I, I, I'm not going to sing. I'm not a worship leader. No. You choose to humble yourself. And in that humbling, God gives grace. All of a sudden, your song amplifies and reverberates in the spirit world because your choice activates that. We'll show you in a minute. The spirit will prompt, your choice responds, and then the spirit takes over and anoints. God, I'm not going to move until you move. And he's like, dude, okay. Two can play that game. That's why sometimes you don't experience that anointing that you so desperately want. Because you just don't choose to go to the mountain that God will show you. So in our topic of spiritual fellowship, minding the Spirit, leaning into the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, walking, how do you do that? Huh? That's as simple as you just choose. You just choose. It started in a garden with a man choosing. It ended in the garden with a man choosing. Your will plays a critical role in spiritual matters. There is a chapter in the Bible that gives an entire narrative on the proper way of the speaking in other tongues. Would you notice verse 32? It says here that the spirits of the prophets, those that's, uh, also that are speaking in tongues, are under the speaker's control. Your spirit man is under the control of the man. What part of the man controls the spirit of the man? Your will. You're under the speaker's control and it is subject to being silenced as may be necessary. Whew. For those who have ears to hear, here's what's happening. Your spirit man contacts the stuff of God. Your spirit man has that burden in it. It has the feeling of God in it. It has the, the gifting where God brings the tongue and the prophecy, and God brings the, let's say, the revelation. But me and my choice, I have a way to partner with that, to make it flow, or to shut it down. My choice is the strongest part of my being. So much so that I can temper and manage and regulate my spirit man. Most of you think, 
To be spiritual means that the Lord just comes on you and you lose control. And, you know, um, and, and out just comes words and out just comes tongues. And you're like, you do nothing. You're, just like, you're temporarily sort of sabotaged by God and it bypasses your will, your personality, and just, no. No. Listen carefully. In the context here, Paul says you can still control yourself. I want two or three people to speak in tongues. So, I don't want just everybody to like be zapped by God. Like you control yourself. That is, you can choose to let that spirit man flow. And when you sense it's not the time for that spirit man to flow, you, you stop it. It's under your control. Do you see what's going on? <gasps> Emphasis, your spirit is regulated by your... This brings me then to this governing truth. My will matters in the functioning of my spirit. My will matters in the functioning of my spirit. The Christian life is not a passive life. When we, when we use words like engage your spirit, stir your spirit, fan up your spirit, activate yourself, most of you are like, well, how do I do that? You choose to. That's why some of us move on and advance in the Lord's purposes and others of us fall behind. And we're like, how did they get ahead? Why are they more in the purposes of God? What did I do wrong? Because you're sloppy in your choice. You're sloppy in your volition to partner with your spirit, to choose for the Lord, to yield. Yielding in Christian knees have been construed as you just lay down and do nothing until you're somehow shaken. No, yielding means is I choose to lean in. You're very active. Jesus died to restore will back to you. Amen. And when you choose to lean into the Spirit, <laughs> you can fellowship with God. It's, it's quite remarkable. It's not a schlep. It's easy. It's almost as though the entire spirituality of your person hinges on, do you want to?